0: Hello and welcome to Hacked Off. In today's episode, I have been asked to talk about firewalls. Now, when I first saw this on our schedule for podcast episodes, I was like, my gosh, how am I going to do an entire podcast episode on firewalls? Like, they're block traffic. What more is there to it? Um, but when writing some notes for this, I, I think there are some interesting areas of, of firewalling to talk about. Uh, perhaps some uh, misconceptions, but certainly something to talk about in terms of how firewalls can make the job of a penetration tester or the, the job of a threat actor more difficult. And how, in all honesty, we rarely see them deployed in that way. So I, I don't think I necessarily need to do like a what is a firewall. It's a network device that blocks network traffic selectively. Typically based on IP addresses, either source or destination, ports, protocols, that kind of thing. It blocks network traffic. Um, There are next-generation firewalls to talk about. There are web application firewalls and those kinds of things. We'll get to those in a second. Also, sometimes when you see people talk about firewalls from a very basic point of view, they'll talk about stateless and stateful and those kind of um, archaic things that that don't apply anymore. It's... um, all the technology details, not necessarily relevant here. We'll just jump straight in. A firewall is a device that is designed to block network traffic based on some aspect of that network traffic. It can have advanced features, which may lend you to use the term next generation or something similar. But in actuality, it just blocks stuff. We put firewalls on network perimeters, like our internet facing uh, perimeter, so that we can prevent threat actors from accessing resources that we don't wish to be externally facing, that kind of thing. Um, how, how do they play in in terms of uh, penetration testing then? Well, typically the, the penetration tester is, is going to be restricted to attacking services that are, that are published. But what I mean by that is we're going to target things that you have exposed. A finding of vulnerability within a firewall itself that allows for bypassing an access control list or something like that. It doesn't typically happen anymore. It's, it's really rare for that kind of vulnerability they do come up every now and again in the same way that uh, vulnerabilities in VPNs come up every now and again, where you can entirely just bypass a, a VPN, but they're fairly rare. So we'll take the, the point of view right now for the sake of this podcast of, we're going to target published services. Um, so what does that mean from a, from a pen testing point of view? Well, really this leads us into uh, a couple of different things. It's gonna lead you, of course, into firewall configuration reviews. If firewalls just work, then performing a penetration test to see if uh, services that are supposed to be exposed are exposed and those that aren't, aren't, isn't your only option you could do effectively a pepper best exercise. You could get somebody who understands the network context, who understands the architecture of the network, to sit down with a firewall configuration and see if it's appropriately secured. See if the rules that are in place are the ones that you expect them to be in place to make sure there's a, a change control entry for every rule, that kind of thing. Make sure you've got the the basics like a a uh, default deny rule, those kinds of things. We, we can do that. We can sit down with a firewall and we can go through the configuration. We can give recommendations based on things like, this rule is overly permissive. Are you aware that this rule allows for administrative traffic? Sometimes a, a protocol just has security context that that maybe systems administrators, network administrators, haven't thought of. A, a good example of that, if you're looking for one, would be um, TCP 445, that's file transfer within Windows networks, you know, SMB, Samba. Um, uh, a lot of people, because that's used for and well-known for file transfer, I would presume that that's all that that port is used for. Whereas on Windows systems, you can actually remotely execute commands through port 445 using PSExec. PSExec, if you haven't come across it, one of the sysinternals tools, you can download it. It's just a a tool from Microsoft, or of, of course there is... Uh, Pen testing equivalents like the Impacket suite has a psexec script, and uh, common exploitation frameworks like Metasploit have a psexec script that allow you to remotely execute commands. So if you have uh, allowed access over 445, thinking that will protect systems or, or um, segment systems such that only file transfer can happen between them, that isn't necessarily the case. And a firewall configuration review could could reveal that to you. We don't necessarily have to do a, a full-on pen test. Um, looking through a configuration could be faster than doing uh, port scanning, application mapping, all of that kind of stuff. So that that's an option, and that's there for those who are interested. The big thing with firewall configuration reviews is is um, making sure that the reviewer, the assessor, is fully aware of the context. Um, it's really difficult to give uh, guidance on what should be where if we don't have the layout of the network and, and the architecture as designed. We could generically tell you things like, you know, allowing any port, allowing any source is bad, allowing large uh, port ranges is bad, that kind of thing. But firewalls work and vulnerabilities in them are fairly rare. Um, so where else are firewalls relevant when it comes to penetration testing? Um, honestly, internal infrastructure testing. When, when we actually get inside of an organization's squishy corporate network, um, most organizations still have a... Uh, Network architecture that is effectively an external perimeter, so an internet-facing perimeter. They may have a DMZ, a demilitarized zone, a semi-trusted network, uh, semi-trusted uh, segment within the network that is designed to reduce propagation should a system be compromised. So you'd have things like web servers, email servers, public-facing services within a DMZ where you are publishing some uh, some services, you know, email, web, that kind of thing. But if a threat actor was able to compromise that service, such as you know, code execution vulnerabilities, that kind of thing, they're still within a, a separate area of the network, a segment. This demilitarized zone is designed to limit propagation. That is the, the common layout that we see for networks, perimeter, DMZ, everything else. And of course, hopefully you can see what I'm getting to here is when it comes to actually being connected to the internal corporate network, which can happen in a multitude of ways, Perhaps the threat that you're trying to simulate is a malicious member of staff. That could be somebody who's disgruntled, somebody who's been bribed. It could be we have successfully carried out a physical access assessment. We've broken into the building and we've just plugged into a network connection or accessed a unlocked device, something like that. Or it could be a successful uh, phishing campaign. We've gained code execution over a staff member's uh, machine. Once you're on the internal corporate network, it's incredibly common that these networks Internally, it just are just flat. There's there's no real segmentation. Sometimes when I when I bring this up with customers, uh, they they get uh, confused, or, or sometimes say that that's not the case. Stating things like VLANs. Oh, we don't have a flat network because we have VLANs. We have separated, or they might even use the term segmented, segmented the network into these different logical areas, uh, and that is true, but that's not a security boundary if you have inter VLAN routing. If there's no access control or if there's no filtration between those things, that isn't a security perimeter. Sometimes the the filtration between uh VLANs can, can just be really light as well. So maybe they have got a firewall between there the inter VLAN routing through the firewall, but it but it's not actually preventing that lateral movement so really this is when when firewalls become interesting and this is when uh developing secure internal infrastructure uh can can be difficult looking at how do you prevent propagation how do you prevent a threat actor going from an initial foothold to being able to propagate across the network the way to do that is very likely firewalling and and that's how how we get into this topic and kind of like in depth and, and really cause a pentester difficulty like i say it's it's super rare so the first thing to consider from a uh, network segmentation point of view is how are you going to segment the network? Like, where are you going to draw the trust boundary? So some organizations would do this uh, geographically. They could say, well, we have three offices, so we'll consider each office uh, a separate uh, segment, and then we'll do uh, restrictive. We'll restrict network traffic to access control lists uh, at that level. Uh, and that's okay. I'm not going to say that that's bad. Some organizations will do it based on... Uh, what type of device it is. So, uh, you know, keeping all of the end-user devices in one segment, keeping the servers in another segment, the public-facing services in another segment, that kind of thing. And that's cool. And some organizations will try and push towards micro-segmentation where they, they break everything down to as small a group as possible. The point here is just simply that uh, segmentation isn't, isn't a single thing. It, it can be multiple things, but what you want to be thinking of when it comes to network segmentation and how you want to be thinking of internally firewalling your traffic to restrict the movements of a threat actor, be that something automated, like a malicious software outbreak or something intelligent, like a, uh, pen tester, something like that, um, is how can you restrict their movements? And one of the big things is going to be, um, well, I guess, I guess I should start with a counterpoint. It isn't necessarily going to be the case of block all traffic and then just allow through the services that you need. Now, it should be. That is a sensible starting point. But the difficulty is, of course, the things that I mentioned earlier. You might need something like uh, file transfer. And file transfer allows PS exec, and PS exec is code execution, and code execution allows for uh, a segmentation bypass. So it's not that easy. You, you need to think of it in terms of... Uh, in my opinion, the pentester is going to tell you to think of things in terms of the pentester's point of view. But you should think of it from the pentester's point of view. What does opening this service allow the threat actor, allow the pentester? And if that pushes towards a, a segmentation uh, bypass, then you should restrict that traffic or come up with other, some other mitigating control. So you can open port 445 on the firewall, but then restrict PS exec through other means like group policy. That's fine. Point being, network segmentation, super rare to see it deployed at all. It's even rarer to see it deployed well. VLANing a network is not segmentation. It is not security, a trust boundary. If you have inter-VLAN routing, VLAN's just a logical separation in a network. It doesn't necessarily prevent network traffic in the same way that strict firewalling does. And then look at things like uh, how can a threat actor jump between networks so i mentioned things like ps exec but another example and a very common one that i see um very often we'll we'll look at uh the the network architecture of of, uh, an organization's network before doing penetration testing to to give recommendations about how the uh penetration test should be performed be that efficiencies that can reduce cost or just um intelligence-based uh techniques so what is a threat actor likely to do and then we'll try and simulate that So, for example, very often one of the things we'll talk to organizations about is, is it possible for a threat actor to jump from the guest Wi-Fi network to the internal corporate network or to the uh, corporate Wi-Fi, something like that. Jumping between trust boundaries, guest network, which should should typically just be a a pipe out to the Internet, and then the internal corporate network, which has a higher level of trust. Uh, very often we talk to organizations about that kind of thing and they say, no, no, there's, n- there's no point in testing that because we have segmentation between these things. Well, you, you should test that. Just because you've configured a network in such a way that, that you think that a that, uh, jump can't happen uh, doesn't mean that it can't. Even take it to extreme. Some organizations where they say, no, no, it's a physically separate device. The Wi-Fi network hardware that you connect to for the guest Wi-Fi and the internal corporate network You know, the physical network that we have at the office entirely separate network. It's impossible to jump between the two. They are air-gapped. Test it. See if you can. And the reason that that I say that is it's really common on pen tests for me to be able to do that. And the way that it's most common is where staff members are using laptops. They sit down at their desk. They plug their laptop into a docking station or cable into the internal corporate network. And it is also connected to the guest Wi-Fi using its internal wireless card. That is sometimes an air gap jump where, you know, it's connected to two physical networks. Sometimes it's logical where I can scan devices on the guest Wi-Fi, find one of these corporate devices, compromise it through some means, and then gain access to the internal corporate network because that device is multi-homed. So, you know, firewalls are awesome and we should use them for protecting our networks, but it isn't just the case of, well, we have a firewall on the perimeter and that's that. We have a firewall internally and that's that. Or we use VLANs. There's a little bit more to it. And network segmentation testing, trying to get between different uh, trust zones within the network, different segments within the network, is is something that a lot of companies don't consider. It is a thing you should should check out. If you don't have segmentation, you absolutely should implement segmentation first. And once you've done that, you should you should test it rigorously. Mentioned the things on firewalls, the next generation firewalls, advanced firewall features, these kinds of things. What is this? Um. It is a real thing, so sometimes people look at security technologies that have marketing buzzwords attached to them, like next-generation firewall, and think, oh, it's it's just marketing, there's nothing behind it. Typically what that is, is a firewall that has some other additional feature, so this could be something like a firewall that scans for malicious software as it traverses the network, just some kind of deep packet inspection, something like that. Um, those features are cool, and if your firewall can add additional additional layers of security so that you're building up things like defense in depth. You know, you have uh some kind of antivirus solution or um end user device protection. And then you also have network protection through uh firewall-based anti-malware solutions, something like that. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Having multiple protections can lead to defense in depth, that's good. But take a look at how do those protections work. And certainly don't rely on those protections unless you understand the the um in-depth technical details. So for example, I, I won't mention the specific vendor, but it's a, a fairly common concept. If you look at something like an anti-malware solution on a firewall, so next-generation firewall that will scan for malware across the network, there's a few questions that you should have. The first is, how does this device deal with encrypted traffic? So if all of the traffic passing through that firewall is encrypted, how does it scan for, for malware? You should look at you know, whether that is actually ever going to detect anything, or if everything's encrypted, then is it going to miss everything? let's not get into the depths of you know terminating transport layer security and those kinds of things that's a question to ask how how does it see the traffic as malicious um and then also the second question would be what does it do if it detects malicious traffic so so the vendor that i that I, i mentioned a second ago um could scan uh, network traffic. So it could scan things like um, unencrypted file transfer, so unencrypted SMB traffic. And if somebody moved a file uh, into a network share or from a network share that was uh, malicious software, it could detect that. And it did that in the same way that kind of common antivirus does these days. So not only was it looking for signatures, but it you know, executed it within an emulated environment that allowed for behavioral analysis. That's cool. The, the firewall being able to do that, being able to actually pick up on malicious software is a cool thing. But what happens when it does? So if you have, if you consider um, network traffic from the firewall's point of view, it isn't a single thing. The, the file doesn't traverse the firewall. Uh, that file is broken down into frames or, or packets, if you prefer that, um, broken down into packets, and each packet is sent across the network. And the firewall would have to reassemble that session, reassemble those frames back into that file to execute the file, to determine if it's malicious, to then do something about it. So does it hold on to that file until it has all of the pieces, scans it, determines if it's malicious, if it is, blocks the connection? I mean, that would cause all kinds of latency issues, no doubt. Or does it let it through, but keep a copy of it so it can reassemble it and scan it? And it is, in fact, particular vendor that I'm talking about here, that's how they did it. They forwarded all of the traffic through, but they kept a copy of anything that was a file transfer, scanned that uh, potentially malicious file within an emulated environment, and if they detected malicious software, it logged it. Now, what logging it means, again, is something that depends based on your organizational context. Logging could mean it spits it into a SIM. The SIM can alert the uh, IT team or the security team so, yeah, you know, um, security incident event management system can, can tell you that something malicious has happened and you can take action. So yes, the file got through, but that you know that action needs to be taken. Uh, for other organizations that don't have centralized log management, don't have automated alert generation, don't have uh, a SOC or anything like that, or a responsive team of some type, um, the firewall picking up on malware and logging it, it is possibly not going to help you. It is also... Uh, Worth bearing in mind that in either case, even if there is a responsive team, you're still, being, you're still being notified after the final transfer occurs, after the attack has occurred. It's not necessarily a bad thing. You know it, it, it sounds a little bit silly at first to like let the virus through and then tell everybody that there's a virus. Um, but there's like I said, there's some technical limitations there. And also being told that a machine is infected is still important, even if it's after the infection. It's still worthwhile from a defense in depth point of view because you would still hope that the device's um, host-based antivirus solution would pick up on that as well. So you've got, um, you know, defense in depth there. Um, so it's not, it's not entirely uh, worthless to have this kind of thing, but it's, it's worth drilling down into these details. So when you look at advanced firewall features or next generation firewalls, Uh, What is it actually doing? What is the feature that it is promising you? And how does that feature work? And the worst case scenario, if something bad happens, like, you know, what happens next? If a machine is infected or if malware is detected across the network, what what happens? Um, I also mentioned right at the beginning, so I'll I'll briefly bring it back up here. Things like web application firewalls, web application firewalls or or any kind of application layer firewall are, are quite different to traditional firewalls where we're just looking at the the network layer, where we're blocking based on things like IP addresses, ports, protocols, that kind of thing. Um, application layer firewalls, or, or in particular web application firewalls, understand the protocol that is being spoken. So they understand HTTP, and they can go more granular uh, into what is actually happening. Web application firewalls, um, they get a bad rep. They, they, they do. A lot of security testers will talk down about web application firewalls because... Very often they're not configured in the greatest way and very often a seasoned uh, effective penetration tester can bypass them. It doesn't mean they have no purpose. So one of the things with web application firewalls to look at is um, how is the web app firewall actually working? Does it have an allow list and a block list? Uh, how, how is it configured? Do you have a block list which is just a list of known bad payloads and it blocks those and nothing else? If that's the case, Uh, a a decent threat actor, a decent pentest is probably gonna bypass that. If you're blocking SQL injection strings like and one equals one, I'm gonna come in with things like and two equals two and entirely bypass that rule. So block lists typically are are ineffective because uh, they don't include all possible payloads. And if they did, they'd be unmanageable. And allow lists are the opposite approach where you define uh, what traffic should look like, the, the known good traffic. Uh, can be way more effective, and therefore we're harder for a pen tester to bypass, but but require a lot more configuration. I know as we move into the the time of artificial intelligence and machine learning, a lot of these devices will get better at detecting what is expected traffic versus abnormal traffic. Uh, right now, in my experience within the web application firewall space, that hasn't happened yet. We can, we can still... Um, Bypass a lot of these things that they're not quite effective, but you know we'll make progress. Technology ever advances, but if you have a web application firewall, that's just blocking traffic, has a block list and nothing else. It's probably ineffective. It's probably going to be bypassed. Doesn't mean that WAFs are themselves useless, though. You can either reconfigure it, or one of the ways to think of a WAF, like a, a good place to use a web application firewall, is where there is a vulnerability that you have discovered before you can remediate it. So sometimes fixing a vulnerability that you've discovered can take a little while. It's not instantaneous. It's not like you discover SQL ejection and then that's it, it takes you 10 seconds to deploy a a patch. Application vulnerabilities are often code changes and code changes take time, need testing, those kinds of things. It isn't always just as easy as, well, a lot of infrastructure stuff is where you just install the patch and that's that. And very often it might require code changes or it might require some testing. A web application firewall can help in those instances where you can make exploitation incredibly difficult and you can certainly detect exploitation attempts before you can get the uh, fix into production. Without web application firewall technology, the option might be you leave a vulnerable system up or you disable the vulnerable system and that's that. Whereas with things like web application firewalls, where you're increasing your ability to block non-payloads, you're increasing your ability to monitor at an application level, web application firewalls can, can help for that. And there you go. There's my, my mini rant about firewalls. Who, who'd have thought? There's, there's quite a lot to firewalls. So a couple of takeaways. firewall configuration reviews are a thing, and you can just take a look at the config, take a look at the context it operates in, and give recommendations based on that. You're not limited to just traditional pen testing. Most organizations aren't doing network segmentation properly. And if you think you are, you should probably test that. A segmentation test is a good thing to look at. And advanced firewalls, next generation firewalls, web application firewalls do have a place. And they can assist organizations when it comes to defense in depth. They shouldn't immediately be shrugged off as silly marketing buzzwords, those kinds of things. They also shouldn't be put in place and just turned on without any kind of configuration. There's more to it than that. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the next podcast.